So he sat behind his natural defenses And there he wrestled with the song He heard his name in every line His life in every measure Faced with feelings he could not explain hollow hesitation there was posturing for peace but even where the spirit willed the flesh was still maintaining ground to give only for a sign the call came out again few weeks, you know that we've been preaching through John chapter 6. And so I hope that you're reading John chapter 6 because uh, it's intense and uh, I have to preach from it. And I should tell you right at the start of this message, it's kind of scary. And so uh, it might be a good message for kids to utilize the children's program and you to hold somebody's hand. But uh, last week in John chapter 6, we talked about the manna, and uh, that manna is uh, trusting in Jesus. To trust in Jesus is to feed on the manna, and to trust is to no longer hunger and to never thirst. That's John 6, 35. But we do hunger, and we do thirst, which means that we aren't feeding on the manna, which means that we aren't uh, trusting, and, and why not? Why not? Let's pray. Lord God, would you help us to preach your word? Your word of grace. We're saved by grace. We're redeemed by grace. But God, that means we're also convicted by grace. And so, Lord God, would you help us not to try and fix that old monster that is us, but to confess him and to receive your life, your bread of life. You are the bread of life, Lord Jesus. 
And so, Father, help us to preach in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we have some late words of just arriving, and I'll interrupt to bring this to you. This is the latest disclosure in a report from National Civil Defense Headquarters in Washington. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. A widespread investigation of reports from funeral homes, morgues, and hospitals has concluded that the unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. It's hard for us here to believe what we're reporting to you, but it does seem to be a fact. Dang. I mean, that's stressful, right? I mean, do you ever feel like those people in the farmhouse in that movie? The people in the farmhouse, you see, were having uh, trouble with, with zombies, with zombies. Zombies look like they're living on the outside, but they're actually dead on the inside. They're void of that indefinable, elusive uh, um, property that we call life. And so they seek to gain life by taking life from others, eating the flesh of the living. And now this may be the freakiest part, but zombies can look like us. And so how do you uh, tell a zombie if you're, if you're seeing it, for instance, for, from a distance? Well, number one, they travel in groups because they don't think or really feel for themselves. And number two, they're stiff. That's because they are stiffs. They're not animated by life uh, from, from the inside in and of themselves, but they're controlled by some other force, an alien force, like maybe even space aliens or some disease or a witch doctor or some evil taskmaster. And of course, zombies can be found feeding on the living. And, and, and now, that, that now this is, is really the bummer, but, but if you're bit by a zombie, odds are you'll become a zombie too. That's how the condition spreads. It's terrifying. But I do think there is something that's even more terrifying than zombies. This is a picture of the shadow of the vampire in the movie Nosferatu from 1922. Last night I had a clip, but it creeped people out so bad I thought I better not show you uh, the clip and just show you the shadow from a picture in the movie. Vampires are creepy. Like zombies, vampires are, are dead. But instead of eating human flesh, they feed, uh, they drink uh, the blood of the living. Uh, according to scripture, their life is in the blood and, and that's what vampires want. They, they want life. Can you imagine if the pastor was, was a vampire? God, that would really be creepy, huh? I mean, wouldn't that be, were you just kind of creeped out right now? That would, that'd be creepy. That would suck. I mean, he might just suck the life out of you in order to feel better about himself. See, vampires are, are really insecure, and, and that's because they're dead. They're so insecure, in fact, that when they look in the mirror, they see no reflection. It's like nothing's actually there. Like zombies, once you're bitten by a vampire, well, well you tend to become a vampire too. Oh, once uh, someone sucks the life out of you, you start sucking the life out of others too. Vampires suck. So how do you kill vampires and, and zombies? And, and that's the really tough part because even though they're dead, they, they just won't admit that they're dead. Both zombies and vampires, they, they hate the light. They cannot stand being exposed to the light. I mean, maybe the light reveals that, that they're dead. Now, I, I've come to know so much about zombies and vampires because I, I, I go to movies and there are just tons of zombie and vampire movies out there. My research indicates that uh, they are most prevalent of all movie monsters, and um, monster movies, I think, are the projection of, of our deepest fears, society's deepest fears. And so this morning, I thought we'd examine some 
monster movies, uh, monsters in movies, uh, and examine our deepest fear. That is that there are beings that look like us, look alive, but really are dead, creatures that feed on the flesh and drink the blood of the living. According to Wikipedia, anthropologists claim that every culture around the world has stories of these creatures that feed on human flesh and drink human blood. You see, I think it's like a, a universal fear. Well, well, zombies and vampires are the, are the, are the stuck of, stuff of fiction, right? I mean, that's, that's not uh, really real, is it? I mean, whoever heard of eating flesh or drinking blood? Drinking blood, I mean, well, that reminds me of, a, of another movie. And technically, it's not, a, it's not a monster movie, but it does evolve a, a bunch of people drinking blood. I mean, just check it out. My name is Borat. I come from Kazakhstan. Can I say first, we support your war of terror. May we show our support to our boys in Iraq. Now, that's the comedian, comedian Sasha Baron Cohen at a rodeo in Salem, Virginia, and that wasn't staged. That actually happened. And now listen, I don't want to get into all the politics and all that stuff or, or get down on, on George Bush for that because you know what? We all voted for that, that war, right? Well, I mean Republicans, Democrats, of course we did. I mean, we've been bitten, right? Bitten really bad. 2,976 people were murdered on 9-11. Our enemies drew blood. And so we drew blood. But, but not necessarily the, the blood of the ones that bit us. Estimates range from 110 up to 1,030,000 dead Iraqis since we bit back. I mean, just think about it. 47,000 Af Afghanistan, something like that, dead. Uh, that's like a 50 to 400-fold increase in the number that have now been bitten. And I would imagine uh, some of those, like teenage boys who've lost fathers, mothers, brothers, and sisters over on the other side of the world, they're having an urge right now to bite someone. And then we say, well, they bet first, but actually very few of those people bit us. And those that did bite us, they said, well, that we bit first in 1947, 1968, in the Crusades. And, and yet, of course, it wasn't the people in the towers, the World Trade Center, that actually bit them, and yet somebody did bite them. You know, I think if we were to trace the bite marks, we'd trace them all the way back to a garden and a tree and a snake. And since then, the disease has spread to every nation and even to my heart, bloodlust. Then the desire to feed my flesh at the expense of somebody else's flesh, flesh. See this steak? Well, that's the kind of thing that I like to feed on. Steak and lobster. That would cost you about 38 bucks at a, at a restaurant. See this boy? He's a child in some third world country. For 38 bucks through an organization like Compassion International, I could feed, clothe, educate, and befriend a child like that for 38 bucks. 38 bucks a month. Price of the steak. 
According to UNICEF, 24,000 children die each day due to poverty. Do you know that half of our world lives on less than $2.50 a day? 80% of our world lives on less than $10 a day. Now you can argue numbers, but I've traveled the world enough to know that every time I buy a nice dinner, instead of steak, I could, argue, or, or could order from the dollar menu at McDonald's and with the money left over, I could like save a child that might otherwise starve to death. I mean, I'm sorry, I hate to mention it, but I do not know how to get around that fact. I try to tell myself that, I, that I've worked for what I've got, that I deserve what I've got. I try to tell myself that I've worked for what I've got. Well, then what I've got wouldn't be grace, right? Wouldn't be grace. I try to tell myself I'm, I'm saved, that I got my stuff. I'm saved because of my good works, but then I deny the gospel, right? Like I said, I try to get around the fact, but then I have to face the fact that I'm trying to get around the fact, and the fact is a little boy with his hand outstretched. And so the fact is that I don't love love. The fact is that I actually like feeding on this more than I like feeding this. So I will sacrifice this flesh for this flesh in order to feed this flesh. I know if I feel all guilty about that. And so I try to go out, work, and cover uh, my own shame by calling Compassion International Sponsoring Child for $34 a month. Well, that would be really great for that child, great for that child, but I wouldn't be loving the boy. I'd be loving me. I'd be using the boy, that boy, that poor boy to feed me. I'd be using the poor to feel better about myself, my self-centered, desperate, lonely self. And my dead heart would be just the same, except only more hidden in lies. <laughs> like a whitewashed tomb. Clean on the outside, dead on the inside, like, like a Pharisee, a zombie. You know, Pharisees didn't love the poor. Not most of them, it seemed. Didn't love the poor, but used the poor to feel better about themselves. That's religion. That's human religion. Re religion. And that's where, the, the, you know, the, the world, it, the world feeds on physical life, and yet we religious types, guys like me, feed on spiritual life. It's our business. A few years ago, a few years ago, I got bit, I think. I don't know this, but I suspect that some pastors wanted to feed on me to feel better about themselves. Don't know it. I suspect it. Because I am it. I am it. Every year at our denomination's annual meeting, they, they used to print out church attendance charts, you know? I used to read those charts like a Coke addict snorting Coke. <laughs> Churches that dropped in attendance. Churches that dropped in attendance made me feel better about myself. Churches that gained in attendance, especially more than my church, made me feel worse about myself. So what does myself want? Myself wants people across the country to what? Not hear the gospel, not receive the words of life, not come to Jesus. Also, I could feel better about my fragile ego, my flesh. I mean, I might as well just wish them all the hell, eating their flesh and drink their blood. And you know what Jesus said? Whatever you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. The moment you wish anyone to hell, you wish Jesus to hell. And this is your judgment. You actually eat his flesh. 
and drink his blood. <laughs> wow. No, I, now, now pull back a minute. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, oh, come on, Peter. This is a little melodramatic. I mean, you were kind of competitive. That's just the way people are. That's just competition. That's the way of the world. That's the survival of the fittest. That's the very nature of our flesh. Exactly. That's the way we are. That's the way people are. Seems an awful lot like the way zombies are. And vampires are. I mean, we each are like a life cut off from its source, yet longing for its source, and yet we don't know the source. So we long for life, but don't have life, and so we try to suck life out of everyone around us, but it doesn't satisfy our hunger for life, for they themselves are not alive. The whole world is like that. One life eating another life that's now become death. The whole world is like that. Almost like the whole world has been damned by God, cut off from God, cut off from life, and God is life. And didn't he say, didn't he say, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Did we eat of it? Did we die? Maybe we are the walking dead. And even though we desperately try to hide the fact we're like blood-sucking zombies at heart, ever, ever, ever since the garden, we take life rather than give life, and, and Jesus is life, and so we take his flesh and blood like fruit from some incredible tree. Maybe that's original sin. Maybe we are like zombies and vampires. Am I offending you? Oh, what if you're a zombie? Perhaps you should be offended. What if you're a vampire? What if all your hard work and good deeds are nothing but an effort to convince yourself of a lie and an illusion, the illusion that you are not dead in your trespasses and sins, like Paul writes. The illusion that, that you are not a monster, that you are not a, a sinner. I mean, perhaps it's the world's most attractive illusion, and, and yet, ironically, that illusion is, is, is a prison in which you are trapped alone with yourself, which is the monster. Maybe that's like hell, the beginning of hell. I don't know, something to think about. A little while ago, I saw a great monster movie, Shutter Island. Leonardo DiCaprio plays a U.S. marshal named, named Teddy. To make a long story very short, Teddy is at the Ashcliffe Hospital for the Criminally Insane. He, he thinks that he's there to investigate the staff. He believes that they're all monsters creating other monsters to be used like zombies in the Cold War against Russia. Uh, but at the end of the movie, in a lighthouse, we find that Teddy is actually the monster who has created this elaborate illusion to hide the fact that years before he murdered his one true love, his bride. At the very end of the movie, there is an amazing scene. Teddy's glimpsed the truth, but, but, but relapsed into illusion. A doctor sits by his side, hoping Teddy will, will choose the truth and, and be saved. You see, Teddy can face the reality that he's a monster and live, or he can choose the illusion that he's innocent 
the illusion that has created his hell, an illusion that will force the doctors to give him a lobotomy, a living, a living death. You know, this place makes me wonder. Yeah, what's that, boss? Which would be worse? To live as a monster? Or to die as a good man? would be worse, to live as a monster or to die as a good man, the illusion. Well, he chooses the illusion that others are the monsters and he himself is the good man and he dies a living death cut off forever alone. He, he chooses death over life. Why? Because the light is too painful. What if life is light? I mean, we all want life, but we hide from the light, maybe because it exposes the fact that we on our own are dead. And trespasses and sins, I ask, why don't we eat the bread of life. Well, perhaps the life is light, and to eat it is to see what we are. Perhaps the life is God's grace, but you see, God's grace is also judgment, the light. In John 6, 35, we read this last time. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. We do not trust. We do not come to him. We do not eat. Why? Verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Well, the Jews then argued and disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, and yes, unless you eat the flesh, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And now, please understand, this is crazy talk, and if you're thinking to yourself, oh, well, it was different for people in that day, in that culture, you're absolutely wrong, because you see, for 1,500 years, God had been telling the Jews, you must not drink the blood, the life is in the blood. And remember, please remember that these guys he's talking to, they never been to Sunday school. They never heard about communion wafers and grape juice. They're thinking meat and plasma, not bread and wine. So did you hear what Jesus said? Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. No life. In other words, apart from him, they are, we are the walking dead. And to them and to us, he says, feed on my flesh, drink my blood. Walking dead eating flesh. I think we call that a zombie. Walking dead drinking blood. I think we call that a vampire. Do you understand? I think Jesus is pointing out that we ourselves on our own are zombies and vampires. That means that our worst fear is ourselves. We are the monsters that we most fear and we need to be saved. From what? Ourselves. Ah! Now check this out. His flesh is true food. 
It's what every zombie is looking for. So once you eat it, once we eat it, maybe we'll stop biting and devouring each other. Because that's the true food. And check this out. His blood is true drink. It's what every vampire craves. So once we truly drink it, we might stop sucking the life out of each other. It's like God set it all up so that we'd learn that apart from him, we are monsters. So that we'd see our need for him and his love for us. So that we'd experience the depths of our hunger for life, which is him. And the depths of our thirst for mercy, which is him. He subjected the creation to futility, writes Paul, and consigned all to disobedience. Why? Well, maybe so that at the perfect time he could hang from a tree and cry out, eat me, drink me. I am what you want. I am mercy. I am life. I am what you were made for. And check this out. When Jesus is bitten by a zombie, he doesn't turn into a zombie. <laughs> the zombie turns into him, his very body. And check this out, when Jesus is bitten by a vampire, he doesn't turn into a vampire. The vampire turns into him and actually bleeds his blood for others. You see, Jesus is like the ultimate trap for zombies and vampires. They think they're eating him with their sin, and it turns out that he's consuming them with his mercy, transforming them into his body and his blood. I mean, what if the whole world is full of, like, Jesus traps? I mean, opportunities for sin, which in the end reveal God's mercy, places we sin against others, and then God reveals that we were actually sinning against him, and then in that spot reveals his mercy, just like he did at the cross. Verse 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. That means he said these things to religious folks in his hometown. You know, most religion, all human religion, is an effort to hide the monster with rituals and good works and good deeds. But, but if you hide the monster, what, what do you do? You protect the monster. Maybe even empower the monster. I mean, maybe Jesus offends the monster to draw it out into the open, into the light, so that we'll confess the monster rather than hide the monster. Next verse, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? They said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? I'm out of here. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Are you offended? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? You know, in the Gospel of John, Jesus ascends by means of the cross, the tree. On that tree, we took his life. And yet, on that tree, he gave his life. He forgave his life. So to come to the cross is to receive the very life of Christ. It's the, the knowledge of the good, that God is good. God is grace. And it's the knowledge of evil, that we are evil. Or at least infected with evil. For we took his life. Evil is taking God's life. Good is God giving his life. See, at the cross, God kills us by revealing us. We take life. It's called sin. 
And it's not a small problem, it's a big problem. It's called sin, it is the monster. We take his life at the cross and then and there God gives us life by revealing himself. He gives life, he is mercy, the new creation. You see, it's grace that taught my heart to fear. And it's grace my fear is relieved. But make no mistake, grace is light. And so grace is judgment upon all monsters. There is nothing as offensive as grace. That's why the cross of Christ is the scandal on, Scripture says, the offense of this world. There is nothing as offensive as grace. Grace is free, but it will cost you all your illusions. There's nothing as offensive as grace. Grace is love. And love is light. And light exposes the darkness and burns it away. In Nosferatu, the vampire, uh, the vampire is finally destroyed when a fair maiden, a sinless maiden, offers the vampire her blood. Well, the vampire is so intoxicated with this righteous blood that the vampire lingers till the cock crows and the light shines. And when the light shines, he is dissolved like a shadow. At that moment, as if by a miracle, the sick no longer died and the stifling shadow of the vampire vanished with the morning sun. The end. And Jesus said, I am the end. Well, the blood of Jesus, you see, our groom is righteous blood. And he himself is the light. When darkness drinks him, darkness is destroyed. But Jesus does far more than destroy the old vampire. He gives birth to new life in its place. Next verse. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Jesus gives us his spirit and his life. But we must surrender our flesh, ourselves, confess our monster. And you see, that's brutally hard. That's why this is so hard. It's brutally hard. In fact, I don't even think that we really can do it. Like Jesus said, no one comes to me unless it's granted by the Father. And we'll talk about that more next time. I couldn't fit it all in this time. But for now, I want you to understand God in his grace will be helping you to confess your monster. That's why God subjected to creation to futility that's why God consigned all to disobedience. He was setting a, a trap for us because we are the monster. Uh, we were, were the monster in that place, the, the one he so dearly loves. It, it's why he planted the tree in the middle of the garden and why he released a snake and why he wrapped himself in flesh and allowed us to nail him to the tree. It's why he allowed you to sin yesterday and be caught today. Like Paul wrote, God consigned all men to disobedience that he may have mercy, hesed, grace, compassion, love, kindness upon all. You see, it's in the very place where you are a monster that Christ transforms you into his bride. It's the vessel of wrath that becomes the vessel of mercy. It's the very place of not my people, writes Paul, that becomes sons and daughters of the living God. He turns original sin into life and makes us his bride. A few weeks ago, I watched a movie on TV titled Original Sin, starring Angelina Jolie and Antonio Banderas. Uh, I don't recommend it for guys like me because Angelina demonstrates a little too much sin. But I'm telling you, it's an amazing story. She plays this woman who's been bitten by evil and now really knows nothing but evil. Just, just like a zombie, 
She's controlled by this evil man. Together, they murder a mail-order bride traveling to Cuba on a boat to, to meet her, her husband. And, and, and then this woman, Bonnie, played by Angelina Jolie, takes the other woman's identity. I think she was called Julia. Takes her identity in order to take everything from this man, the bridegroom, waiting to meet his, his new bride. She's a blood-sucking zombie if ever there was one. And so she gets married to this man, played by Antonio Banderas. He's covenanted to her. Well, eventually, uh, this man discovers the deception, her deception, and grows furious. And yet, because he's given himself to her, he realizes that he loves her. And uh, finally, at the end of the movie, in an effort to take all of his things, even his life, under the direction of the evil one, this woman gives her husband a cup of coffee laced with poison. Well, he informs her that he knows what she's done. And then he drinks the cup. He drinks the cup. There you are. Shall, shall we just I mean, play the game or just speak the truth? Well, the truth is best. All right. Do you laugh at me behind my back, the two of you? No. Love now when I tell you this. I loved you, Julia. Julia is not here. Julia is dead. And laugh when I tell you that I still love you. No. No, not me. You don't love me. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You. Not Julia Russell. Not... Bonnie Castle, you, I love you as I know you, because I know you, as you are, good and bad, better and worse. <laughs> I told you this already, but you didn't believe me. Tonight you will. blood-sucking vampire. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Well, in the movie, Antonio Banderas recovers like he rises from the dead. The evil one dies and they live happily ever after. But you see, that's how you take an old blood-sucking vampire and turn it into the world's greatest lover. Someone who longs to feed children on the other side of the world. Someone who actually wants to die for his enemies. Someone who gives life because he wants to, because it's his nature. Do you understand? On your own, you are a blood-sucking old vampire. But with Jesus, you see, now you are also something else. You're the bride of Christ, the world's greatest lover. 
because on the night that Jesus was delivered up by you and your sin, the night Jesus cried, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, Father. The night that we poisoned him with our sin. He took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take it. Eat it. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. This is the blood of the covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Do it in remembrance of me. Flesh and blood. You know, if you take flesh that hasn't been given to you, you're like a zombie. And if you drink blood that has not been given to you, you're, you're like a, a vampire. And yet if it has been given to you, if it has been forgiven to you, you're not a vampire or a zombie. You're something else. You're a bride. And the body of your bridegroom has become your very body. Your bridegroom's flesh. You're a bride or you're, you're a body. You're part of, of a body. Do you realize that every member of my body, every member of my body drinks blood from another member of my body? Every member of my body bleeds into another member of my body. And every member of my body feels the pain of every other member of my body and participates in the joy of the whole thing. Flesh and blood, if it's given to you or forgiven to you, you're not a monster. You're the bride, you're the body, you're the new creation in the very image of God. If it's forgiven you, if it's grace. But nothing is more offensive than grace. And so I know that this morning you probably felt offended. But you see, God is in the business of offending you with grace. When it happens, don't panic. Don't leave. Don't run away. He will offend the hell out of you, but only so that he can place heaven within you. It's in the place of greatest offense that he gives birth to the greatest joy. For it's there that you finally come to believe he loves you. Absolutely, completely, furiously, endlessly, unconditionally. And it's there that you begin to love him. Oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I, I actually love you. I love love. And so come to the table, tear off a piece of the bread, dip the cups in, or dip the bread in the cup, light cups juice, dark cups wine. They're, they're both the, the life of God. And, and uh, as you do, would you confess yourself? Don't be afraid of yourself. Confess yourself. You see, you can't fix the monster with the monster. <laughs> Confess yourself and see his self and receive his self and then live his life. You are his bride. You are his body. You are his priceless possession for he purchased you with his very body and his very blood. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel and live. And so, Lord Jesus, you're the one we're really hungry for. You're the one that we're truly thirsty for. And so, Lord Jesus, I thank you that in the place we took your life, you forgave your life and you have turned us into your body and your bride. And your bride is not a stiff. And you, you, your body, um, well, it doesn't take life from others. It gives your life to others. 
And so, Lord God, may we be your dancing body, your dancing bride in this world because we have stopped trying to justify the monster. We've stopped trying to dress him up and make him good. But because we've surrendered the monster and received your life. Lord God, I think maybe some today came to the table for the first time and said, I surrender this old monster. God, would you speak to their hearts and would you tell them that the thing that is placed in them is an eternal seed that will not fail? That they belong to you and you will take them home. And Lord God, maybe there were others that have been religious folks for a long time and they've kind of fallen into the illusion that they're making a pretty good show of things. People like me, God, would you convict us and would you show us that we're not only saved by grace, we're created by grace. And so you constantly convict that old monster with grace and breathe your new life into us with grace. And we're free. We're free because we've stopped justifying the monster, hiding the monster, trying to dance the monster around when he's really dead. And so, Lord God, make us your dancing bride, your living bride, your body in this world of darkness and evil and tell Lord God you fill it all with yourself in Jesus name amen and now before you go let me just say if you were offended by this message um, just know I was really offended by this message okay <laughs> and also go back and look at John chapter 6 because at this start and we'll need to finish it next week we didn't have time to finish it so it's hard to bring it all full circle but at the start of the chapter everybody's chasing Jesus he's the most popular guy in the world at the end of the chapter, everybody's offended and they leave. Except for Peter and a few other guys. Because they say, Jesus, we don't have anywhere else to go. And it's into them that Jesus breathes his life. And upon that rock, Jesus built his church. And that is the church that you are. And so I just want you to know that on the other side of the offense of the gospel is the life of the kingdom. Jesus' life, eternal life. And so what I'm saying is trust the surgeon to cut out the old and give you the new. You see, he really is good. And so always run to him, never away from him, even if it hurts. In Jesus' name, believe it, the gospel, amen.